call to worship. A reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dennis Broussard, and I'm so happy here to serve you, to worship with you. Um, and I thank our wonderful new pastor for allowing me to do this. The reading we heard this morning, the parable of the seeds, is all about the kingdom and how we receive it. And to be truthful, those four types of soil are really the landscape of our inner heart, our inner being, our soul. There's a lot of rocks, there's a lot of thorns, and there's a lot of beat-down paths. And sometimes it doesn't seem to be any good soil. Our Lord is merciful. All we need to do is our best when it comes to him. And our best is to listen, especially to the gospel, and to trust that that word, word that seed, is sinking into us imperceptibly until one day, It'll flow out of us. It'll surprise us with joy. And we'll know right then and there that we're loved by this God. A love that we don't earn. A love with our full attention on our need for God. Our full attention on our need that our landscape isn't all good soil. 
But what turns that soil into the receptivity of God's mercy, his seed, his love, his kingdom, is our faith. One of the things we have to learn how to do is to pray. To pray not like God is absent, but to pray like he's present. And he is present. There's a lot of waiting on God. That's part of the faith life. You know, when I thought of being a Methodist, I did a little research as best I could, and I read about Charles and John Wesley. And there were three things I found very attractive. And the first thing was the centrality of Scripture. That the only way you and I can know our God is through Scripture and Scripture alone. And it's there that things take hold in us. It's there that the seeds come into our soul. In Romans, Paul tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. Those stories that we hear over and over again, we might not think they're doing much. And no matter how little good soil we may have, those words sink into us. And one day to surprise us. As modern Christians in the West, though, we sometimes have difficulty seeing the scriptures as they speak to us. It's easy to look at them as history, and we think it's other people those scriptures are meant for, people of the past, of a distant time. And sometimes we're even troubled by the question, how do they apply to us? The other thing that I found attractive with Wesley is he looks at life as a journey. And he looks at our spiritual life as sanctification, meaning conversion is ongoing in this life. In this life, it's possible for us to grow more and more and more to understanding and it certainly makes life a lot more bearable in the hard times. To understand the meaning of suffering when it comes into our life. To understand the meaning of death. Though our Lord certainly didn't take those two things away from us, he transformed it. And some way in our suffering, he's present to us mysteriously. C.S. Lewis used to say, he whispers to us in our joy and he shouts to us in our suffering. And though he has not taken death away, he certainly transformed it. It's part of our celebration today. When we bring the gifts up and we offer ourselves to God. It's a form of dying. 
death is not done away with, it's transformed. An opportunity for us to surrender to this God who pursues us like a hound of heaven. The other thing I liked about John Wesley was the divine indwelling. That God is really indeed present to us. And as St. Augustine says, he's closer to us than we are to ourselves. And that's how our faith should be. It should start out with God already present. And this God should always be to us in our understanding a merciful God. And for us to hang on to that. That this God can only do one thing, love. And his love is always mercy. Hang on to that. Sometimes we hear people say, well, what about his justice? His justice is on our side how we respond. For example, the four types of soil the seed falls on, the concerns of the world is part of one soil, distraction, seeking wealth is another soil that does away with the seeds, shallowness is another soil. But we know there's good soil. It works like this. I hear in the gospel our Lord tells us my little children, it has pleased God to give you the kingdom. Don't be anxious. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will come. Don't worry about what you're to eat, what you're to drink, where you're to sleep. All these will be taken care of you when you seek the kingdom. That's good soil. And sometimes I have worries. You have worries. I worry about money sometimes. You worry about money. And I go in that good soil, and I look up to God, and I say, I seek the kingdom, I'm going to trust you, that everything else will come. And then pretty soon I'm dragged out to the rocks. I'm dragged out to the thorns. My faith is weak. That's the justice. It's that struggle we have to say yes to God. And it's a real justice. It's not punishment. It's purification. It's sanctification. And it's done with love and with joy. And our Lord knows what we need. When I look at the scriptures, I look at them differently as I get older. I look at them in three ways. A great part of the scriptures was the historical Christ. The first 33 years of his life. He was really human. He emptied himself of his divinity. He became like us in all things except sin. Meaning he never doubted the Father. He had moments where this human light that he embraced for us to follow him, where he wondered, where he bargained a little, 
in the garden. Father, can this cup pass from me? Can I do something other than this cross? But then in a second, not your will, not my will, but your will. He surrenders. He gives himself. And all of his suffering as a human, he had that ability to transcend his own suffering and see the sufferings in others. That's for us. That's our journey. Our eyes focus on him. To see what a human person he was. For us to understand what it means to be human. And he doesn't leave us alone with that. He surrenders himself to the cross. Looks up to heaven as we all would and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're nowhere to be found. And the next breath he says, Into your hands I commend my spirit. His trust wasn't misplaced. He's resurrected. For us. And for the next 50 days, according to our liturgical understanding, he wandered around as resurrected. He was a little different, though, in this resurrected state. Mary Magdalene in the garden went looking for him. And she saw him. She thought he was the gardener. So there's something different about him. There's something transhistorical. But as soon as he says her name, she says, Rabbi, it's you. And the first thing she wants to do is grab him, hug him. And he says, Mary, I haven't ascended yet. What's he saying? Let go of my physical presence. Let go of those sureties where you have faith in me based on reason alone. Based on emotions alone. With me, they're not going to help you. I'm God. And to know me is to become me. And that's our hard struggle. One of the most wonderful things he does is with Peter. In his earthly 33 years, he comes across Peter. And Peter reminds me of me. He brags. He's arrogant. He's dumb. When our Lord tells Peter that he has to suffer, that this Messiah has to suffer, Peter says, no, 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 it's not going to be that way with you. And this was right after our, our Lord asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And our Lord with joy says, Peter, only the Father could reveal that to you. Only the Father. Because I haven't resurrected yet. And I haven't sent my spirit. So only the Father, Peter, 
when I get off the beaten path, I sometimes think, was Jesus maybe a little disappointed? It's you, Peter? <laughs> and then we see Peter on that fateful night when our Lord is taken to the cross in the garden, where our Lord predicted, Peter, you are going to deny me before the cock crows three times. And it takes place. And it's written so dramatically. Peter's around the fire warming himself. And this person says, that's one of them. That's a follower of Jesus. And Peter says, no, 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 not me. Another one says it. He says, no, 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 not me. And then a third. And when the third says it, he hears the crow. And just then our Lord comes around the corner. And their eyes meet. Heidegger talks about that. That confrontation with Peter after he denied the Christ. What was that look of Christ? Was it condemning? Probably would be if I were in the Lord's shoes. But Heidegger said, our Lord looked at Peter with those eyes that said to him, Peter, we can take care of this. He saw the fragility the vulnerability of Peter. He transcended his own misery and reached out to Peter. Now, it doesn't say that explicitly in the scriptures. But to look at it that way isn't contradictory to what we know about the Christ. And our Lord would resurrect, and he would confront Peter again. After this crisis, after Peter not understanding what this kingdom's about. And Peter would stay off out in, the, out in the water fishing. And they would see this man off to the distance, and Peter recognized him. And Peter runs to him. Now, if our Lord looked at him with scorn, I don't think he would have run to him. But he runs to him. But there's one thing different. He listens. Our Lord sits him down, and he feeds him. Then he turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. And each time he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Our Lord has almost completed his work in Peter. He's tied together the two great commandments that are the kingdom. Love of God, love of neighbor. But Peter had to go around a few times. We might say he took the long way, but I think we all do. But one day, we'll all be in the place of Peter. Little variations on the theme will see his eyes. There was one doctor in the church and she said that her greatest punishment from God, how he, how she experiences it, is he never stops forgiving. No matter what I do, he forgives and forgives and forgives. 
that thought of God is worth thinking about. Because it can happen to us. Sometimes we can be having a bad day or a bad week. A bad six months. And we feel kind of worthless. Unlovable. Sinful. And we do not think we're good enough for God to love. It has nothing to do with that. He just loves. And we realize that. And the bottom falls out of our despair out of our certitude with our minds and our emotions into his arms. And we understand through faith. And we're renewed. And that's the spiritual life. We're renewed back and forth. That's our struggle. The crisis like Peter. All those poor disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're walking. They're getting out of Jerusalem. The person they hooked their wagon to has been killed. And they don't know what to do. And this stranger joins them. They don't recognize him. And he says, what's going on? And they say, where have you been? Don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem? This Jesus, we thought he would have been the one to free us to give us salvation. And our Lord calls them foolish. And then beginning with Moses, he breaks open the scriptures for them. And then he looks like he's going to keep walking when they're going to stop, and they invite him. And what does he do? He feeds them. And he breaks that bread, that fellowship, that communion. And all of a sudden they see that and they recognize him. And what's the first thing he does? He disappears. He's gone. And then they say those wonderful words. Didn't our hearts burn when he broke open the scriptures for us? And that's our journey today. It's in the scriptures to know them.